So, as I said, I'd like to talk about this theme of papancha, proliferation of mind. And in the context of uh, practice, this, you know, many themes of the Dharma weave into many themes of the Dharma, so it's really an overlapping field. So this teaching on Papancha really permeates every aspect of our practice. And I doubt if there's anybody here free yet (laughs) of Papancha. Is anybody free from proliferating distorted perception and... uh, (laughs) a running commentary of mind. No, I didn't think so. So, the teachings the Dharma is has this very broad view of the potential of human nature, human experience. And the, the, uh, the, the fruit of that, uh, uh, the fruit of our practice is awakening, is freedom, peace. Where awareness is unobstructed and we rest in the knowing of our nature. And our practice to that point is to understand whatever gets in the way, whatever clouds the mind, whatever causes suffering, whatever causes us to lose contact with our nature, our true nature, our Buddha nature, our innate quality of awakeness, presence. So this particular teaching I found really, really helpful, both in my meditation practice and in life to understand what what the process is, what the mechanism is that's that's seems to make it difficult for human beings, that's us, to simply reside here. So we have a room, we have a full room here, and we were all sitting for thirty, forty minutes. And how many of those moments were actually just here. (laughs) And how much of it was spent back at the office and redecorating the bathroom and going over that argument and, you know, taking the dog to the vet and, you know, who knows what you're up to, all kinds of things. So what's that about? (laughs) You come to Spirit Rock, come to a meditation class, I'm intention to be present, to be awake, and then, boom, you're back a high school, you know, <laughs> or 30-year college reunion or something. So, we're going to take a look at that. There's a lovely line from Upandita, uh, who is a great uh, Burmese meditation master, who said, any thought can arise in any mind at any time. 
any thought can arise in any mind at any time. And if you look at your own mind, you can see that that's true. <laughs> the mind is untamed and a little shameless about what it will create, what it will conjure up in meditation or otherwise. I have showed up with a talk that I can't actually see, which is not very helpful. Ah, there it is. All right. Okay. What are we talking about tonight? (laughs) So I want to preface this conversation with um, uh, saying or um, encouraging you not to make an enemy of the mind or the thinking mind or thought. It's very easy in meditation to see thought as an obstacle, see the wandering mind as a, as a hassle and a drag, and, and then to get into this antagonistic, split, separating, dualistic relationship with your own mind. So, from the perspective of awareness, mindfulness, anything that arises in the mind is not a problem. Right? So, we, so it's not a question of stopping, ceasing, getting rid of. It's a question of waking up to what's happening, including the proliferating mind. Right? So we can, be, we can have uh, a lot of awareness, and, and, st- and that mind may still be operating. It's not, we don't need to uh, exterminate thought. We just need to stay more present in the midst of it, which is easier said than done. Back to the glasses. <laughs> so, um, one of the key aspects of the Buddha's teaching uh, that runs throughout all of the teaching is his understanding of causality, to understand the causal nature of things, to understand how actions have consequences, how thoughts have consequences, how actions have consequences, how things condition other things. And so this teaching of Upanchad uh, specifically comes out of this understanding of causality. So I'm going to talk about four areas that are a springboard for this proliferation of mind. One is um, uh, sense objects or desire. One is aversion. One is views. And one is uh, the sense of self. So... Based on those four things, they're like the most common things for us to spin about generically. And you know, we have well, the, the, the specific content of each of our lives will be will be different, but the generic th- thread is they're they're propelled by the force of desire or aversion or views uh, or the sense of self. So one of the way the Buddha talked about Papantri said. What one feels, one perceives. What one perceives, one thinks about and proliferates based upon it. So, and this is, this is where mindfulness is a really wonderful training because there's an aspect of mindfulness that is a quality of bare attention that's simply present to the bare data of experience. So like if you go outside and you listen to the owl, bare attention is simply the pure vibration of sound that's coming from the owl, not... I wonder what kind of owl. I wonder if there's more than one. Do they live here? 
Oh, I've got to come stay here more often. Wow. And if I can go see it, it's big, is it small? That's proliferation. And there's a place for that. There's a place for curiosity. There's a place for investigation. There's a place for um, associative imagine, imagining. But what that does is it takes us away from the direct experience of just that pure sound, which is exquisite. And there's so many things like that in our lives that are exquisite. Nature, each other, love, sound, the beautiful days that we're having in this odd California winter that we, uh, we overlook because we're lost in this proliferation. So I was once on a retreat, a uh, self-retreat, which I like to do um, up in a house in Woodacre, my friend's house, um, for a few weeks. And I was on my own. I just arrived in the country, uh, and I'd just uh, gotten married. So I had a green card. So I was bona fide. And um, a, a provision, I was a provisional resident alien or something like that. Uh, I think that's whatever the term was back then. <laughs> I still feel like an alien. <laughs> that's another story. Um, and so I was, I was deep in retreat, um, and one, one day I got up and I looked out the window, and this, this car pulled up, and this man rolled down the window, took a photograph of me, and then drove on. I thought, that's weird. <laughs> Maybe it's, I don't know, a real estate agent. They're going to do something to the house. I don't know. But this house is on a circle, so, that, so the, the, the car circled round. And I went to the kitchen window, and then I looked out the window, and the car was there. And they took another picture of me in the window <laughs> and then drove off. And I was on retreat, so I was in this silent retreat. I was alone. And of course, my mind, talk about Papancha, just was like <laughs> Papancha on steroids. Like, it's the FBI, they're checking up on me, they think I'm weird because I'm meditating. And this whole story, and I still have no idea what this person was doing. And maybe they liked the kind of architecture that I was, I have no idea. But it was fascinating to watch my mind spin and spin about the, the, the immigration service, and who knows. So, but, you know, what was actually happening was somebody was coming up and taking a photo. That was the bad data, the best sense data, and everything else was a story. And that's really our lives, right? We come into Spirit Rock and you see these hundreds of people here, and how many stories have you made up today about all these people that you meet standing at the tea line or the cookie line or the book line, you know? We make a lot of stories. We, we live in stories. You know, there's a place for stories. Stories are wonderful. They're part of the imagination, and culture, and art. And we mistake our story and our uh, proliferation for what's actually true, what's actually real. And then we live on the basis of the assumptions coming out of that perception. And then we get into trouble because someone else has their own view of reality that's, that's also a proliferation. And then we get into you know, war and conflict and marital strife. So the first kind of papancha, and, and maybe, uh, I don't know if this is the most prevalent, but perhaps, um, it's called tanha papancha, which is uh, proliferation based on um, sense desire, 
on desire, on thirst. Tana literally means thirst, longing, desire, craving. Um, so, and this happens in myriad ways, and we live in a culture that, that uh, in a way, uh, invites you every day, every time you sit down and watch TV, invites you to proliferate about a new refrigerator, ooh, <laughs> or a new Lexus, or a new drug that hopefully won't kill you, or, um, <laughs> you know, and so, you know, planting these seeds of proliferation, yes, if you have this, then your life will really be quite lovely and perfect. So, and we can see this in meditation, so, and, and we can, it's easy to see that the chain of causality that I was speaking about, so um, a good example of Tanapapancha is you sit down to meditate, maybe it's in the morning and you haven't had breakfast yet, and you feel a rumble in your tummy, and all you can think about in the meditation, all you can, all that's in your field of vision is, you know, getting your coffee and getting your breakfast and feeding yourself. You know, if it's dinner time, then it's even more of an interesting proliferation because you can have your whole dinner fantasies and what you're going to eat and what you're going to eat. And so on meditation retreat, when you've got nothing else to do, this is really a big source of entertainment. You know, what's for dinner? And I hope they serve tofu again. That was so exciting. So, and I've often found myself, like I'm sitting in meditation, I'm following my breath, and then I'm taking a vacation in Italy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what happened? And I, and we had, oh, it was lunchtime, and I was hungry, and I was hoping for pizza, and I remembered this great pizza I had when I was in Rome, because there were those thin, crispy kind of pizzas, and, and I'm taking vacation, and, and that's, that's life. <laughs> Our life goes by. And I hear this in, in so in, in on meditation retreat we, we have interviews and groups and dis, and, and we meet with students one on one and we get to hear as teachers about the different kinds of proliferation. So this and it's uh, always uh, fascinating to me where, where people go. So um, one person we had if you've been in the upper meditation hall it's, it's quite a complex structure and a very high ceiling and so often architects spend a lot of time proliferating about the beams and the, the load-bearing structure and what, how they'd redesign it. And, or we get interior designers spending a lot of time proliferating about the, you know, well, the walls and how we could, you know, make this a little spicier in here and a little more interesting. And, um, so but it's all based on this sense contact. Sense contact, which could be a person, it could be a, a wall, it could be a color, it could be a sound. We proliferate and proliferate. So um, the most common one uh, is uh, what we call the Vipassana romance, which I'm sure you've, some of you have heard lots about and experienced a lot. Vipassana romance is um, when you proliferate based on a sense content, based on seeing somebody. You see somebody you know, in meditation or out in the, in the line and... Maybe you've seen them here before, and you think, oh, and then we're sitting next to each other, and this must mean something, and our shoes were together outside, that must mean something, and, and you spend the meditation thinking about your life together, and how it's going to work out, and you're going to have Dharma children together, and all based on some, that you, that you bought the same cookie in the line, I mean, who knows what the proliferation was. So we do this all the time. 
So a, um, a striking example that, that I thought of today was when I was working with this company. So I do some mindfulness consulting in different companies, and I was working with this hedge fund. And um, uh, in the in the in the good old days, or the bad old days, the the boom days when hedge funds were making insane amounts of money and um this particular day the trade the trader had made a really good trade and, and made 50 million dollars for the company and i happened to be working with him later that day so i was i was keen to see him to see what you know what was going on in his mind and i was quite surprised when i got to see him that he looked really stressed and really anxious and i said what's going on i, I heard you had a really good day you know the days go you know 50 million bad day you know, <laughs> but days work and he said, "Oh, yeah, I know it was it was good, but I really could have done better. I, I, I knew I could have bought earlier and sold. I held on a little few more hours, and I would have made a few more million." The mind is endless in its dissatisfaction and its tendency to proliferate. So his proliferation was around wanting more, basically. And of course, as we know, the mind the, the is never satisfied for very long. Maybe momentarily. So, the papancha that comes based on sense desire or desire. So, um, I mentioned this research recently, but I'll say it again because it relates. So, um, a form of papancha is daydreaming. You know, a lot of our daydreaming is is fantasy land, right? We're, we're, we're fantasizing about something that's not here that we hope is going to be better in the future, right? So, and Stanford did this very interesting research that uh, discovered that we, we, we daydream 46.9% of the day, which is a lot of our day. You know, if you think about it, if you add up the time driving and, you know, all the times we just checked out, like in meditation and, and you put all those together, that's a lot of our day. So, but what was interesting is the research uh, uh, concluded that um, people were less happy after daydreaming because, well, they didn't say because, but I think because they were comparing the present moment to some future imagined moment that was better and juicier, more fun, and and you come back to your cubicle, it's just not so interesting after Hawaii, you know, Mai Tai. So, so the second kind of papancha is uh, moha papancha, so a papancha based on aversion based on ill will, based on not liking, based on the unpleasant and the resistance to the unpleasant. So I come from a nation, um, I come from England, and uh, we like to proliferate about the weather, because it's crap most of the time. (laughs) And, oh, well, it's cloudy and rainy most of the time, is more accurate, and... um, uh, so there's a lot of conversation <laughs> and proliferation about the weather, which is really interesting. Not. <laughs> so, so it's interesting uh, to to observe this um, phenomena because it because it really relates to it arises out of our unwillingness or our difficulty in being with that which is unpleasant. So mindfulness teaches us how to show up and meet experience as it is. But our habitual mode is if something's unpleasant, we don't like it, we don't want it, we want to get rid of it, we want to change it, we want to fix it, which is, you know, has a place. But there's a lot of times when we can't change the weather 
or the state of the economy or who knows what. Um, and so what the mind does is it proliferates, it spins, and it runs stories around that which it doesn't like. So um, I think Jack might say, that. I'm not sure where I heard this story, but um, the, the, the most outlandish uh, story I heard about this kind of papancha was um, somebody was on a retreat up in the northwest, I think at Cloud Mountain, that happens to be on a particular flight path for a certain airline, I think it was United, and somehow this person knew that and found that the, the, the sound of the planes going over was really distracting his meditation and got so so frustrated that he wrote the, the retreat manager a note saying, could you please call United Airlines and ask them to reroute their flight path because it's really troublesome for my practice. <laughs> that is called proliferation. <laughs> but I was also thinking that the converse is um, how we may have that experience if we walk past a homeless person and we experience the, the painfulness of that, but rather than be with the painfulness of it, we proliferate and we start nagging on, on the city council or whatever it is in our minds rather than actually be with the, the discomfort of the experience of being face-to-face with someone in a lot of distress. So often papancha and often the way we, we use our minds, the way the mind is, spins us, is, is it spins because we're uncomfortable with what's here in the moment, emotionally, uh, physically. So another common form of this is when we find ourselves in an argument in our mind. You know that phenomenon where you're sitting in meditation and you're just rehashing this imaginary argument, or you're going over a past argument, except you somehow, you know, you, it's, it's, you do it so you win the argument. <laughs> and you say what you really wanted to say, and it feels really good and justified and righteous, and the other person feels wronged and terrible, and you, you're happy about that. <laughs> um, that is another form of papancha based on ill will. And we do it a lot where we side with ourselves, we see, you know, the, the, the other side of Papancha is this perceptual distortion. So we see based on our own subjective bias. So in the argument, guess who's right? <laughs> Mostly. Me. <laughs> right. So this, um, and I, I love to quote this um, uh, Korean Zen master Bankai, who who has this beautiful line in this wonderful book called, the book's called Tracing Back the Radiance, which I think is the most gorgeous book title ever, Tracing Back the Radiance of the Mind to Awareness Itself. And he says, don't side with yourself. Don't side with yourself. So so this, this papancha, this proliferation based on aversion is usually siding with ourselves. So what would it be to not side with ourselves and to take a more expansive view of a situation. So and there's many other ways that this um, this uh, moha papancha, papancha based on aversion arises. It could be out of fear, in response to fear, it could be in response to ill health, it could be in response to difficult emotion. And then to, to notice how, again, how these things condition our experience, condition our perception. So we might wake up feeling 
exhausted or depressed or and then the mind and then notice the flavor of the thoughts coming out of that experience which we take to be true you know what's in, what's amazing about being human is we take what arises in our mind to be the truth right we think it's the objective truth right? so the seven billion people walking around thinking they, they you know that the, the objective truth lies here you know hopefully if our practice teaches us anything is to question our assumptions, to question our perception, to question our ideas, to question our view, you know, to really hold it lightly. Because you know, ultimately, who knows anything about anything? You know, I talked to my dear friend Eugene Cash, who went through this very difficult accident on his bike and um, had a you know, brushing with death and sh- you know, shaking up of his whole being. And um, one of the, the residues of his practice all the way through that experience for many months of, of rehab was really questioning, well, well who knows? Am I going to get better? Who knows? Is this medication good? Who knows? I mean, who knows, really? We don't know. So, I mean, we know some things, sometimes. <laughs> but a lot of things, it actually serves us to hold them more lightly, to hold another perspective, maybe. So from if we're resting in awareness and mindfulness, we can see our mind running its story, and it can be amusing, right? We, we can sit back and, you know, we're, we're you know, walking around Rome eating pizza, and it's great, and the gelato's really good, and, you know, and it, has a, it has an amusing side when we can, you know, like a lot of things do when we have this space and perspective. But it's also torturous, when we, when we start waking up to how much the mind spends. Like I do a lot of exercise. I like, to, I like to hike. I like to bike. And so it's often those times when we're doing somewhat repetitive things or driving, and I notice how much my mind just wants to spin. And I love riding. I love hiking. I love being present. I love being in nature, and I don't really want to be anywhere else. And yet my mind is really happy to take me back home to, you know, repaint the bedroom and to get some new linen and who knows where. And it's fascinating. But it can also be, it's also, also um, it's humbling. Um, but over time, as mindfulness grows, we, we, there's, there's, there's just more capacity to see thought as thought, to see it as it is, which is just a bunch of thoughts that we create the world. The Buddha said, with our thoughts we create the world. With our mind we create the world. Mind is the forerunner of all things, he said. And as we, if we take a look, we can see that that's true. So I want to read something from Eckhart Tolle, who puts it very succinctly. He, he writes, The beginning of freedom is the realization that you are not the, possi- not the possessing entity, the thinker. Knowing this enables you to observe the entity, the entity being thought. The moment you start watching the thinker, a higher level of consciousness becomes activated. You then begin to realize that that there is a vast realm of intelligence beyond thought, that thought is only a tiny aspect of that intelligence. You also realize that all things that truly matter, beauty, love, creativity, joy, inner peace, arise from beyond the mind. You begin to awaken. So Mark Epstein wrote the book a long time ago, um, a book about psychotherapy and meditation called Thoughts Without a Thinker. 
So in our practice, and Eckhart's pointing us to that, that understanding, that these thoughts are happening by themselves. Think, thoughts think themselves. The mind thinks, and we can take ownership or not, and when we take ownership, we suffer, because we think these thoughts are ours. Did you will? Think of all the fantasies and stories and places you went to in the meditation today. Did you decide to do that? Oh, I'm going to think about the office. That sounds really good. Mm. No, they just happen. They, they rise out of conditions based on the conditions of the past and present. So, and as, as I said, as we rest more in awareness, we see this is it's just, a, it's just a, an arising that, that we, don't, we don't need to be so caught in or so um, convinced by. So the third kind of papancha relates very much to that, which is uh, proliferation based on our views. So the other week I talked about attachment to views, how we really, we really cherish our views and opinions about life, right? And we think they're true, <laughs> and we think they're right. And maybe they are, maybe they're not, who knows? But we're very, we, have, we have a lot of... Um, energy around our views and opinions and look what look, look look at the media look at look at what's happening in the primaries and look what's happening in the world based on attachment to views you know people kill each other people have wars over views religious wars yeah. so the primaries are a really good place to watch proliferation Either yours or theirs, if you can bear it. <laughs> I can only take about five minutes. So th- there's a license plate in Forest Knowles. I'm curious to meet the person one day, since they're down the road, and it says the number one loser. And I thought that's a really painful proliferation based on a t- <laughs> proliferation around a view. And someone told me, well, maybe they're in Weight Watchers. So, I mean, you know, that, that, that would... See, they, they see, I'm proliferating about this person having a terrible self-esteem issue. And maybe they're super happy being the number one loser because they lost some weight. I don't know. So then the, the, the history of religion is, is, a, is, is, is atrocious... Uh, attachment to views and the proliferation of views around women, around other religious sects, around, you know, it's, it's rife. And then the, the papantra about our, own exper- about our own spiritual practice, that's a really hotbed of ideas about where we are and where we're going and where we should be, right? Which are all views, they're all ideas. So I once... Um, this was a long time ago. I had a car. Um, I used to live on the houseboats, and there's a particular houseboat parking lot that floods during the um, high tides, during full moon, new moon. And I didn't know that. And so I parked my little cherished car out there, and uh, next morning it's, you know, two, three feet deep in water. And, um, and there went the transmission. Uh, not the spiritual transmission, but, you know, the real... <laughs> That thing. <laughs> so I, I took it to my friend, who's who's really knows a lot about cars, and I said to him, I said, I guess I'm just not paying enough attention to the material world. He said, No, your car just broke down. And I said, But there's something I'm not looking at. He said, No, the transmission just went. 
I was trying to make a story about what this said about me in the material world, which, you know, could be true or not. And you're saying, no, this is, the data is, it flooded, and it doesn't work. <laughs> Give yourself a break. <laughs> or another common view, I should be further along in my spiritual practice, my spiritual development. Now that is a complete setup for misery. How could you be further along than you are? I mean, really, it's like saying, I should be older than I am. (laughs) 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 Or I should be younger than I am, or something. You know, how can you be other than where you are? You know, reality is the highest order. Speaking of which, I will um, uh, read this. I read this a lot, and this is a great great example of uh, someone who I think is quite awake um, and uh, who... Uh, talks a lot about being free from this from this quality of Papanchas. Byron Katie, she says, Just when I think life is so good that it can't get any better, the phone rings and life gets better. How many of us say that when the phone rings? Oh, life's getting better. More abundance. No. I love that music. As I walk towards the phone, there's a knock at the door. Who could it be? I walk towards the door, filled with the given, the fragrance of the vegetables I'm chopping, the sound of the phone, and I've done nothing for any of it. Then I trip and fall. The floor is so unfailingly there. I experience its texture, its security, its lack of complaint. In fact, the opposite, it gives its entire self to me. I feel its coolness as I lie on it. Obviously, it was time for a little nap. (laughs) The floor, how many... The floor accepts me unconditionally and holds me without impatience. As I get up, it doesn't say, come back, come back, you are deserting me, you owe me, you didn't thank me, you're so ungrateful. (laughs) No, it's just like me, it does its job, it is what it is. The fist knocks, the the phone rings, the sound waits, the floor lets go of me, life is good. (laughs) Do you feel the absence of Papancha in that? Falls down, oh, well, I guess it's time to fall, it's time to get close with the floor, okay. It's very free, right? It's very. It's absent of the of. You know, we we do a lot of add-ons to our life, a lot of sticky add-ons, that just kind of clutter the airwaves that we take to be true. You know, we trip over in the street, and then we're horribly mortified and embarrassed, and who saw? And what do they think of me? And and then and we create a story that we believe to be true about what they're thinking about us. You know, that they think we're stupid or we're unmindful, especially if you do it at Spirit Rock. You're oh, very unmindful. <laughs> Everyone's judging you. But they're probably just concerned. They're probably, oh my God, he's falling over. Is he okay? You know, and there's probably just a lot of care and compassion. But we might project judgment and stupidity, and, right? and then we believe that. And then we suffer. So we do that a lot. So, the practice is very simple. We recognize what's happening. We be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. We be the knowing. We rest in knowing. We rest in awareness. Not so caught in the conditions, in the various things, including these thoughts, that continue to bubble up. So, one of my teachers, Punjaji, put it, he said, don't let a single thought land anywhere. That's a mind free of papancha, 
not letting a mind, not letting a thought land, not letting a thought take root, not letting a thought create this whole world. So the mind stays like Teflon, as opposed to Velcro. <laughs> so the last kind of papancha, so we've had papancha based on sense desire, desire, um, aversion, and views. And the last form of papancha is uh, the p- proliferation around the sense of self, around the I, which all of these things are also proliferations around the sense of self. This is more specifically about our identity and the sense of me and who I am in the world and who I take myself to be. So, and it can be very benign. You could go through that door at the break or when you came in this today or when you leave and someone doesn't hold the door and the door swings into your face and, and, you, and you, it's a little pout forms, a little you know, emotional like, hmm, I thought they liked me. Or well, we make some story, and, it, you know, it's so, and it's amazing how benign the incident and how it can trigger some actually some really deep conditioning. You know, or we get to a food line, you know, up here and eating, and the foods run out. Say we're on a retreat or something on some course, and we get there late, and the f- you know the favorite foods run out, and oh, they always forget about me. <laughs> I always get left out, you know, or you know. Some story, you know, and you know it's, it's sort of amusing, but it's also very painful. Those stories, the, 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 these self-making, these I-making stories, that we're running a lot. Yeah, if you think, I mean, if if you have a, a good place to watch this, is if you commute, if you drive, you know, and you are sitting on a bus, you got idle time. Look what your mind's thinking about. It's running a story about you and your life, me, myself, and I having a great time together, or trying to. So I was teaching uh, some long time ago in India, and um, the story's always always struck with me. So this uh, young man was, um, this really had a lot of zeal for meditation, and um, was meditating really hard, whatever that is, you know, getting up early, staying up late, you know, just very pious and diligent and all of that. And um, and then at some point I noticed that it all fell apart and then I was like, curious to meet with him and um, and he said, yeah, I had, a, I had a really great day yesterday and the practice was going well, I was feeling a lot of concentration, a lot of mindfulness and presence and, you know, a lot of positive feelings were coming up and I started thinking, wow, this is great. What if I, you know, what if this, you know, I could go to Burma and meditate and be a monk and I could sit in a cave in 10 years and I could, you know, I could really start teaching this stuff and, you know, as we do, right, we have a positive experience in meditation and then we start proliferating. Wow, this is so great. I really want to just do this forever and it's always going to be like this and, God, I could be really amazing. I could, you know, we have this whole fantasy. And then, of course, he got so excited by his own trip that he started getting agitated and restless and, you know, fantasizing about how he managed to get away from his life and become a monk. And and then he got really distracted and restless and the meditation fell apart and he felt miserable. And he went, so he went from being, wanting to be a monk in one day to wanting to leave the retreat the next day. 
that's the 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 eye making based on sense experience, based on a pleasant experience, based on a view. So in this, you know, we, we see this a lot in, the, in our spiritual practice, in our meditation practice, uh, the, the stories about our meditation, our concentration, right? We sit down, we come to Spirit Rock, and we try and follow a breath, and we may get half of a breath. If we're lucky, before we space out, we drift off. And then we start having all these views about, oh, and this is not for me, I can't do this. I've never been any good at anything, and we go on a whole tirade of our worthlessness. So, or the opposite, depending on how what's happening in the meditation. So, so again, just to st- can we step back? Can we see? Oh, this is just a trail of thoughts that has a thread, that has a beginning, and has an end, and has a as a subject, which is usually me. Star starring role. So at some point it gets really <laughs> it's like a really bad repeat <laughs> from the seventies or something. So the Buddhist Buddha said, He who has given up Papancha has found the bliss of Nirvana, the supreme peace. He who has found he who has given up Papancha, who has given up this proliferation has found the bliss of Nibbana, the supreme peace. So we can taste this. We all have many, many moments of Nibbana, as Buddha Das used to say. We have moments of Nibbana, moments of peace, where we're not caught in these forces of longing outside of ourselves, of reacting and resisting, of spacing out, of creating some story about what's here. And we're just with the sound of the creaky chairs and the sound of the owl and our breath and whoever we're with, or the cold air as you walk outside. So poetry is is uh, often a lovely... uh, I'm going to talk more about poetry next week. I'm going to talk about the poetry of awakening. But poetry is often a beautiful doorway into a perception of the world stripped bare of proliferation. It's really the poet's task to do that, to see without uh, distortion in a certain way. So there's a famous haiku from Basho, great Japanese poet, um, a three-lined uh, haiku. And it goes, the old pond, frog leaps, splash. The old pond, frog leaps, splash. So often haiku is very, is this is a very terse, stripped down, bare attention in words. The old pond, frog leaps, splash. Not that old pond that's kind of a little musty and can do with de-weeding and the, the spotty frog that's looking sad. And, oh, he's making a big... No, just it is where you get the simplicity of it. So this is another um, haiku um, from uh, 
poet Ryokan, who was a Taoist Buddhist monk and hermit. And the story goes behind this this haiku. Um, he uh, was a very very simple monk, very ascetic. Had like you know a robe and a bowl and a little um, uh, stove to cook his rice and and very very simple, a mat, you know, a futon and. Um, and one day he came back from after his wanderings and all of his possessions had been stolen, which wasn't very many. And he wrote this poem, The moon at the window, the thief has left behind. The moon at the window, the thief has left behind. This is someone who, after having his house burgled, <laughs> got to a very clear place about present. Not, oh, what's happened to my stuff? Maybe that was that too, but not in the haiku. (laughs) This is from Byron Katie again. She writes, I don't have to figure anything out anymore. I gave up 43 years of thinking that went nowhere, and now I exist as a don't-know-mind. This leaves nothing but peace and joy in my life. I don't have to figure anything out. What a liberation. So, a couple of things before I close. Um, There's a teaching that the Buddha gave that um, I love very dearly that many of us do the teaching to Bahia, which many of you are probably familiar with, um, where this young man comes to the Buddha and asks him, oh, uh, great one, or whatever he called him, Sid, I don't know, um, tell me the essence of your teaching. Give me the just the pith of the pith. I have a lot of urgency, and I just want to know the kernel of, you know, like give me the, the core. And the Buddha was known for his, you know, long discourses. And this man just wanted, like, just the, you know, the essence of the essence. Just like, you know, we do. We go online, you know, okay, Buddhism, just give me, like, 101. Three lines. <laughs> Download. <laughs> um, so the Buddha said, okay. After much pestering, the Buddha said, okay, I'll, I'll give you my teaching. So listen up. He said, in the seeing... There is just the seeing. In the hearing, there is just the hearing. In the sensing, the body, just the sensing. In the cognized, just the cognized. When you understand things in this way, when you understand the seeing, in the in the seeing there was just the seeing, in the hearing there's just the hearing, in the sensing just the sensing, in the cognized there's just the cognized you'll understand that there is no here, nor there, nor in between. This is the end of suffering. When you cease to fabricate and proliferate based on those sense experiences, the sense of separation between this and that dissolves and is the end of suffering and is peace. This is another way to talk about the ending of Papancha. 
So you can practice tonight as you step outside the door and feel the cold and listen to the sound of the owl. Are you sitting in your car? Are you looking up at the stars? Can you be in that moment without proliferation? And then the next moment. And the next moment you catch yourself in proliferation. That's okay, because that's what happens. We're human. And you go, oh, I made a story about the stars. I made this story up that there's a plow up there. (laughs) There's no plow up there. (laughs) So let's let's close a little exercise. So just... um, you don't have to move, just just close your eyes. And just turn your attention to your direct experience. Mindful, attentive to just what's here in the senses, in the seeing, just the seeing, hearing, sensing, cognizing. Noticing what's here without your story, without adding to it, without proliferating about it. When you rest in this knowing quality of mind, this knowing quality of awareness, it simply knows. sky-like nature of mind, sky-like nature of awareness. And then things come and go through it. Mind, thoughts, images, memories. Rest in that awareness that you are. folks. Nice to see you all. Thank you for your presence and attention. And uh, I will see you next week. Have a good week free of Papancha. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.